by faith on heaven's table land, a higher plane than I have found. Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. I'm pressing on the upward way, new heights I'm gaining every day, still praying as I'm onward bound. Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. My heart has no, my heart has no desire, to stay, desire to stay, where doubts arise, where doubts arise. Lord, lift me up and let me stand by faith on heaven's land, a higher place, a higher place than I have found. Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. I want to scale the utmost height. And catch a gleam of glory bright. But still I pray till heaven found. Lord, lead me on to higher ground. Lord, lift me up. Lord, lift me up. Let me Thank you, men. Let's take our Bibles this morning and turn to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2 in our Bibles. Philippians chapter 2. We're continuing our series on uh, being a church member, what it means to be a, me uh, a member of a local church. And uh, membership is not the country club membership, right? You, you pay dues and uh, you get a locker down in the basement and they shine your shoes and they know your name and they bring you big tuna fish sandwiches. Um, at least that's what I experienced out in the country club out in Connecticut. 
on a couple of occasions. Um, that is not what it means to be a member of a local church. And uh, so we spent some time in the book of Romans. We also spent some time in 1 Corinthians just considering what, uh, how God dis- describes, defines for us what it means to be a member of a body of believers, a member of the body of Christ. And, of course, we saw there are different, different members of the body, right? There's the eye, there's the ear, there's the hands and feet. There are members that are visible, and there are members that even are more important than the members that are visible in the sense of, uh, on the physical body, uh, or organs that we have. They're very important, um, but, uh, but we often don't get complimented on those, on those members of our body. Um, you might be told your hair looks wonderful today, but um, you're not normally going to be told how beautiful your spleen is. Okay, so um, so we're talking about what it is to be a church member. The last couple of weeks, last week in particular, we were in Philippians chapter 2, looked at verse 1. Just verse 1 is all we looked at. And uh, we saw what our motivation for unity what, what should be our motivation for having unity functioning as one body within the local church? Should we be motivated to unity? Should we desire it? Now, what should be that motivation? And we looked at that last week. Amos chapter 3 and verse 3 says, Can two walk together except they be agreed? And so agreement is absolutely necessary for unity. Agreement is necessary for unity, and sin against the unity of the church is not primarily a sin against the organization of a church, but it is, that is, not desiring unity, not caring about the unity of the church, is primarily a sin against the head of the church, which is the Lord Jesus Christ, and he is the one who desires it. And so it really is, um, it, it really is, uh, ultimately an act of ingratitude to Christ. Lord, thank you for saving my soul. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. Thank you for becoming my sin uh, for me so that I could become your righteousness and therefore and thereby be received into heaven someday. Uh, thank you for consoling me and encouraging me and comforting me through life and through my unfaithfulness to you. Lord, I'll take everything that you give to me, but don't expect me to care about what you care about, and that is the unity of the church. So unity is important to a church, to the health of a church. It's also, more importantly, it is important to the Lord Jesus Christ. He desires that his church be united. And um, and so this morning I want to answer some questions Really, what is necessary for for a church to be united? Do we all have to wear the same things? Do we all have to uh, get up at the same time? Do we all have to read the same passages of Scripture on on each specific day? Do we all have to have the same standards? Um, You know, uh, do we all have to drive the same cars, right? I mean, and, and, and interestingly, there are cults. And there are other religions that try to manufacture unity by some of these measures that I'm talking about. And I've I've told you before of a particular group of a particular religion. Um, it's predominant out in Pennsylvania, 
and um, they all drive cars. They're allowed to drive cars, but they drive cars that cannot have chrome on them anywhere. And so you, if you buy a car, it has to be a, a dark color, black, and um, they have to have black bumpers. They can have chrome bumpers. Most of our cars today don't have chrome bumpers anymore. But if you have alloy wheels or chrome wheels, you know, they get their cars customized. So buy a brand new car, but then they have to put dark rims on that car so as not to be worldly. And, there, and therefore, that's one of the ways, uh, uh, um, along with some other things that they do and wear, where they attain a form of unity. And I would call that uniformity, but not unity. So the Lord is interested in something deeper than just an outward look, okay? And, uh, and this passage truly gets to that. Look at verse number one again, Philippians chapter two. I'll read down through verse number eight, and then we'll pray. And then we'll look at just a couple of verses this morning. He says in verse one, if there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy that ye be like minded, having the same love, being of one accord of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each Esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Before we pray, uh, look back to verse 2, if you would, where he says, Fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. So here we come to this portion of scripture, and he tells us what is absolutely necessary for a church <clears throat> to be united. And uh, not just to appear united, but to be one in Christ and to function that way. This is beautiful, and this is a miracle of God. Let's pray together. Father, teach us, I pray, by your word today. I pray that your Holy Spirit would make application beyond what I have the time to make or have the understanding or wisdom to make. I pray that you would speak to our hearts, Lord, give us wisdom, teach us, grow us, help us, Father, to, to be a church that accurately presents Christ to this world. Help, help us, Lord, to show Christ to this world. And Father, I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. So unity uh, in a local church is not obtained or not attained by uniformity. Um, and I'm hesitant to give examples because 
there are certain things, you know, we, we ought not compromise truth. Okay. But uniformity does not equal unity. But God wants unity. So same dress, same attire, that's not what he's saying. Same cars, it's not what he's saying. Same houses, same food, same computers. You know, you're a Mac guy and uh, another person's a PC guy. You can't be members of the same church, right? You can't get along. You know, no, that's not, that's not what he's saying. Um, the same hobbies, I think maybe that's a little more understandable. The same age, you know, how can I relate to you? You're not, we don't have the same hobbies or you were born in, you know, as my children used to say, dad, you were born in the 1900s. Yeah, I was. I was born in the 1900s, but to to some of them, that just seems ridiculously old, you know, the 1900s. So can can someone born in the 2000s be united, have unity with someone born way back in the 1900s? You know, is that possible? And uh, and the answer, of course, is yes. There can be sweet unity. There can be unity that this world cannot understand. Yesterday I had I, I tuned in a little bit to a particular game that was being played between North Carolina and uh, Duke, and it was the last. The reason I tuned in there was it was the last home game to be coached by Coach Mike Shashevsky, the coach for Duke University. And I don't know all the statistics. He's one of the, the winningest coaches of all time, if not the winningest coach. I've won a lot of national championships, been to the Final Four, I think, 12 times. I mean, an amazing career. He was there 42 years. He went to West Point and then came to Duke when Duke was not a power uh, in basketball. They were pretty terrible. And uh, he came, this young guy, and uh, turned the whole program around and won all these games and built a program, and it's impressive. Something like that gets my attention. I ask questions, you know, how did he how did he do that? He didn't come to a powerhouse and win off of the backs of those who had gone before him. This was something that he accomplished. And so those things piqued my interest. And they were going to honor him. It was his last home game there, ever to coach in that in that small arena, frankly, uh, for college basketball today. And North Carolina and Duke are rivals. So it would be like a Michigan State-Michigan rivalry. They don't like each other. They root against each other. You know, they want the other to lose all the time. And uh, it's deep. Well, they're only, eight, they're only eight miles apart. The schools are only eight miles apart. And um, <clears throat> so Duke has a better record. Duke ranked number four in the country. North Carolina is unranked. Duke beat them by over 20, I think, earlier in the season. And so here they are. This is Coach Josefsky's last game after 42 years. The place is packed. Tickets are out of sight, dollar-wise, to get into this place. Some students have been camping outside since January to get seats for this game. Okay? Good thing it's not in Michigan. Um, And intense. Okay. So big deal. And North Carolina and Duke play. At halftime, Duke's winning by a couple points. And one of the, a lot of former players are there, you know, and this former player says they better win the game. 
you better win the game. That's all he had to say. Well, they didn't. They lost the game, and it was, it was getting out of control at the end. It was not close in that sense. And afterwards, Coach Krzyzewski had to give a, he gave a speech and uh, took responsibility for the loss. And people were crying in some cases, you know. And I'm pondering this, this uh, they, they refer to themselves as a family, this Duke family. And they win together and they lose together. And, it, and what, I'm, what I'm pointing out to you is it's possible within this world outside of Christ to have unity. They want the same thing. They want to win. That's what they want. That's what unites them. Excellence unites them. And they root for one another, and they lose together, and they win together. And if the next, next coach does not win enough, he will not be a part of that anymore. Okay. Um, so in our world today, we see situations where there's complete breakdown of unity. In families, in churches, in, in government, in countries, okay, society, there's complete breakdown of unity. In other places in society, we see these pockets that are unique and intriguing to us, like what I saw the other day, where they have a, a, they have a unity. There's something that unites them together, their passion, their love for the game, their alma mater, the excellence that that school has achieved in that particular sport, that unites them. But what we're talking about here is something supernatural. And what what I witnessed yesterday a little bit of with Duke University and basketball really can't even compare to what Paul is writing to this church about in Philippians chapter 2. This goes beyond whatever Duke University can manufacture or has been able, which is pretty amazing and impressive, but cannot compare to what the Apostle Paul is talking to us about in this particular passage. So there is diversity within a church because, and we talked about this last week, because God has made us different. There is diversity within a church because people are at different stages of spiritual growth. And uh, there is diversity within a local church, as we've studied over the past couple of months, because God has gifted us differently. And so the person who has the gift of mercy, should they appreciate and value their church member who has the gift of prophecy? Should they? Yes or no? And the person with the gift of mercy it tends to be more empathetic. And, and God's given that person to the church for the well-being of the church. The body needs people who have the gift of mercy and the gift of encouragement, Okay. But at the same time, the church equally needs people who have the gift of teaching and who have the gift of prophecy and maybe who see things a little more black and white. In the flesh, the person who has the gift of mercy is going to say to the person who has the gift of prophecy, you know, you really need more mercy. You need to be more merciful, man. It's always right and wrong. You know, I mean, there's no room for mercy with you. And the person in the flesh who has the gift of prophecy is going to look at the person with the gift of mercy and say, you know, you never stand for anything. Stand for the truth. What's wrong with you? See, and the fact is, as Paul pointed out, under the inspiration of the Spirit of God back in 1 Corinthians, it is ridiculous for the hand to say to the foot, I have no need of you. The hand 
needs the foot. And the foot needs the hand. The person who has the gift of mercy who's within the body of Christ needs the person who has the gift of prophecy. They need them. They need the person who has the gift of prophecy or the gift of teaching to stay strong. They need them to stay strong because that isn't the strength of the person with the gift of mercy. And the person who has the gift of prophecy or the person who has the gift of teaching needs the person who has the gift of exhortation or encouragement or the gift of mercy. We need them to stay strong and exercise the gift of mercy and encouragement within the church, you see. And it's not appropriate for, for some gifts to look at the other gifts within the church with, with the look of, like, I don't even know why you exist, really. You know, you're just, you're not getting it. You're not, you're not like me. You see the arrogance that's there? And truly, within a church, God adds to the church. He joins us together. He knows what we need and who we need. And we need to thank God for what he's given to us and rejoice in what he's doing. So now some, some simple truths from the passage. In verse 1, and we studied this last week, so we will not take much time with this at all. But in verse 1, he gave us the motivation for why we should desire unity within the church. Should I, should I even care about it? Should I have the attitude of, you know what? You know, I know, I don't know about everybody else, but God added me to the church. And so that's what's going to consume me, me. And I'm going to function within the church and, you know, whatever you come and go function however you want. You may annoy me. You may not. And I'm just going to go through life uh, and not worry, not be concerned with you. I'm not going to be concerned with having unity. I'm not going to get caught up in that. It can be hard sometimes. It can hurt when someone is is not following Christ, a brother or sister is not following Christ, and they're walking in the flesh, it can hurt others, okay? So maybe it'd be easier for just us just to build some walls of protection around ourselves and insulate ourselves from one another, and that'd just be, that'd be easier for me. It really would. And, and I can tell you, I know people personally, people who are related to me, who claim to be saved but have not attended a church in years and have not been members of a church in 30, 40 plus years. And the reason why is because they don't want to be hurt. They don't want to be hurt. It's almost easier not to have those relationships, not to get close, not to invest in one another, not to love one another. Because if I love you, you disagree with me, you're going to hurt me. If I love you and I give to you and you don't reciprocate, it's going to hurt me. And so, you know what? I'm just going to insulate myself and I'm not going to not going to invest in this. So in verse one, he tells us, no, you have a you have a motivation to unity. And, and look again in verse number one. He says, if there be, therefore, any consolation in Christ, if you've ever been consoled by Christ or if any comfort of love, if you've ever been loved sacrificially, intentionally by Christ. In other words, when you didn't love him, he still loved you. If you've ever been loved by him that way, he goes on, if any fellowship of the spirit, if the spirit of God, the spirit of Christ has ever partnered with you and 
encouraged you to do the right thing and suffered long with you and you grieved him and you hurt him and you you quenched him, but yet he was faithful to you. If you've ever experienced these things, if any vows and mercies, that is compassion of the Holy Spirit, then he says, fulfill ye my joy. And I did not communicate that the way it's written. Fulfill ye my joy. If you've ever experienced the love of Christ, that's what verse 1 is all about, that encouragement, that comfort, intentional love of Christ, that partnership of the Spirit and the compassion of the Spirit, then be committed to what God is committed to. If he's invested in you, then let him work through you to invest in other people. If he suffered long with you, then he, from within you, is going to suffer long with other people. And uh, so that's our motivation. So what is absolutely necessary for church unity? Well, look at verse number two. Look at verse two. He says, Fulfill ye my joy, that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Now, when we read that, you know, he, with much intention, says, fulfill ye my joy. This is what, this is what fills Paul with joy. I mean, this would cause him to rejoice to the highest level if the church at Philippi, who was struggling with unity, if they were like-minded, if they had the same love, and if they were of, the, of one accord, and of one mind. Now, now we really read, we read verse two, and we think, well, wait a minute. So we are supposed to be like-minded with each other, and we are supposed to have the same love. That's uh, agape, sacrificial love. We are to be of one accord and of one mind. So obviously, that means that you have to root for the Detroit Lions. I guess we're all in it. I mean, right, Bob? I mean, you're a Detroit Lions fan, and since you're a part of the body of Christ, everybody has to think like you do about the Detroit Lions, right? Well, no, thankfully. <laughs> we don't have to be dragged down that road of sacrifice. Okay. Um, what is he talking about here when, he's, when he talks about being like-minded? It has to do with members of the church. Could you just imagine, um, Josh, you having to root for the Lions? You can't even imagine it. Okay. He's a Bears fan. Um, but... What's he, what's he talking about here? This being, We're to be like-minded with one another. We're to have the same love with one another. We're to, we're to one accord, being one accord of one another, one mind. And we're going to look at these things and what they mean, but who gets to decide what we're in one accord on? Who gets to decide what we're to be like-minded about? I mean, who gets to decide that? Maybe we could go every, you know, once everybody takes a week, you know, and today we'll root for the Bears. But next week we'll root for the Lions. And then how do we go through every little thing? You know, it's a Harley Davidson, it's a Honda, or no motorcycle at all, or you need to be physically active. Or I mean, I mean, where does this end? I mean, what computers, what do we wear? You know, check the church app. What do we wear today? Who's in charge today? 
And I almost said someone's name, but I didn't. So who gets to decide this stuff, you know? Um, I mean, this is getting crazy. And you say, Pastor, I think this is a cult. You're on the verge of becoming a cult. Well, if we were doing all of that, yes, it would be. Here's the point. It, it's, it's Christ that determines what we are to be mindful of. It's Christ who determines what we're to be in one accord about. It's not, it's not a board or a committee. It's not people of a certain age, older or younger. Well, but I want it this way. Or I don't like that anymore. Or I, 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 it has to be this way. And everybody needs to do what I want everybody to do. <laughs> because I'm right, of course. You know, I mean, this could be, this could be terrifying. So what are the marks of God-pleasing unity? What, what does genuine God-honoring unity look like? And, and in verse 2, that beginning part, he says, Fulfill ye my joy. Paul seems to say, You have caused my heart to rejoice before, and now fill my cup of rejoicing to the brim. What could the church at Philippi possibly do that would cause the Apostle Paul to rejoice as much as he could humanly rejoice what evidences should we be able to see within the body of Trinity Baptist Church? What are the marks of unity? What is absolutely necessary for a church to have unity, a unity that is pleasing to Christ? And the answer would be simply this, be in tune with Christ. Um, not all of us here are musicians, but... If you have different instruments and they're not in tune with one another, it sounds terrible. If if it, or even if they're if they're not in tune and they're not in rhythm or in sync with one another, it sounds terrible. It's like just a bunch of banging, clashing, and squealing and honking. You know, it's terrible. Um, that would be. Bad, that would be that would be awful for the church, wouldn't it? Let's say we get everybody in the same building, but we're not in tune with one another. And so what Paul's telling us, what the Spirit of God is leading us to understand is, the goal here is not for me to find out what Dan wants or how he wants it and me get in tune with Dan. Or, or even Adam say, okay, well, what is, you know, what, what should... What should I do? I'll determine. I'll find out. I'll pull the audience, find three people, find out what they want, and then I'll get in tune with them. No. It's when Adam gets in tune with the Lord. And Pastor Scott's in tune with the Lord. And Jeff's in tune with the Lord. And we could go to some of our young people in this room, and Brendan's in tune with the Lord. And Tyler's in tune with the Lord. All of a sudden, here at this point now, the, 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 the assembly has this sweet, beautiful unity, and you can still root for the bears and the lions, and you can still you can still drive a Honda or a Ford, and or a, you can use a Mac. You can be an iPhone guy. And, and the church can still have sweet, beautiful unity. You can have you can have people who are older, born in the 1900s, 
and people who are with it, who were born in the 2000s. Yesterday, uh, Tori sent me a text and she said, your shoes are fire. And it was kind of a group chat. She, Tori, with, with Cindy and me. And Cindy's like, what does that mean? And she's and Tori said, well, it's like, dad's shoes are hot. Those are cool. And I'm like, well, I don't know what you used to call it, Mr. Pagan, when you were born. Were you born in the 1900s? <laughs> cool. Okay. All right. So, but, you know, we have different people from different generations that, and I, and I kind of ruined it. I told, I told Tori, I'm like, you know what, I'm going to use that on one of the teams. I'm going to be like, hey, your shoes are fire. And they're going to be like, wow, pastor, that's amazing. You know, we're talking the same language. And they would know better, right? Um, but is it possible? Our society says that's not possible. You can't have a group of people this diverse from the 1900s and the youngers, and you can't have some who are wealthy and some who don't have very much financially, or some who have college educate or college degrees and some who are not college do not have college degrees. White collar, blue collar. In the New Testament, we had people who were slaves within the church. We had people who were not slaves within the church in different times throughout human history. Is it possible to still have this unity, this beautiful God honoring unity that? presents to the world Christ. And that's the goal. And uh, the answer is yes. Um, let me give you a couple of thoughts on this. Uh, in verse number, verse number two, he says, be like-minded. Like-minded, of the same mind. Uh, that, that verb is found in the New Testament, I think, 20 times. Ten, half of those times, ten of those times happen in the small book of Philippians. So this was a big deal. To the church at Philippi, apparently they were struggling with unity. They, they were struggling with this. They didn't have it. They were lacking it. Um, churches struggle with unity. It, it, it is something that churches struggle with. Our church can struggle with it. We ought to be on guard against it. We ought to, we ought to recognize what causes disunity. What if, if unity comes to a church when the members of that body are in tune with Christ then what would cause a church to come apart or be a disunited or dismembered? And the answer would be when we're not, when the members are not in tune with Christ. We could apply this to a, a marriage relationship, by the way, husbands and wives. What would cause a husband-wife relationship, and I'm talking about two people who are saved, what would cause them to be what would cause them to come apart? It would be when they're not in tune with Christ. When, when a husband and a wife are in tune with Christ, they can disagree with what they want for dinner, but they can have sweet unity, you see. Or, or a relationship between children and their parents. Uh, if, if, if you want a good relationship with your parent, teenager, their walk with the Lord is between them and the Lord, but your walk with the Lord is between you and the Lord. And James says you can be as close to God as you want to be. Draw nigh to God, he'll draw nigh to you. You can, be, you can be as close to God as you want to be. Today, if you're not close to him, you can be close to him today. Draw nigh to him. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners. Purify your hearts, ye double-minded. He talks about these things. And so it would be, it would be wonderful 
And it ought, it would be right. It would be honoring to the Lord. It would be a testimony to this world that God is great, that he is salvation, that Christ is the savior of the world. If they could look at some, some father, son or father, daughter relationships within Christianity and marvel, like, how do you have such a good relationship with your dad? I mean, that's just not cool. Or how do you, mom and dad, have such a great relationship with your, your children? And, and you would know, well, it's because we're following Christ. And he's the one who's bringing us together. He's giving us relationships, fellowship with one another that only he can give. It's really even, it's supernatural. It, it's not just a matter of, well, I give my kids a lot and they, get, and they understand that. So they give me some and we, we have this business transaction worked out. No, this is supernatural. Um, so be like-minded. Be in agreement with Christ. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse number 10, Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, and they were struggling with this similar thing. He said this, Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions or gaps uh, among you but that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Verse 11, he goes on, he says, For it hath been declared unto me of you, my brethren, by them which are of the house of Chloe, that there are contentions among you. Contentions means debating and strife and wrangling, okay? Um, some marriages are like that. Some parent child relationships are like that. Some churches are like that. the church at Corinth was like that. And God looked at them and he said, you've got contentions all through your, your church. You're not showing Christ. Remember, this church was all consumed, too, by, well, who has the most spiritual gift of the spiritual gifts? And he said, well, <laughs> you're full of contention and strife. You're, you're, you're so proud and arrogant. You can't show Christ that way if, if you're going to be that way. Verse 12, he goes on. Now this I say that every one of you saith, I am of Paul. Another person says, and I'm of Apollos. Another person says, well, yeah, well, I'm of Cephas. And, and some say, well, I'm of Christ. And Paul asked the question, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were ye baptized in the name of Paul? And, and Paul's emphasis was this. Church of Corinth, follow Christ. Follow Christ. And Trinity Baptist Church, that's, where, that's what Paul's talking about to the church at Philippi. He's saying, follow Christ. You've experienced his love to you. You've experienced his consolation, his comfort to you, his faithfulness to you. Follow Christ. And you see, when we follow Christ individually, which I want to say two things at the same time, and I can't. Um, when we follow Christ individually, it brings us together. When we choose to individually not follow Christ, we can try for unity all we want, and we will never have what God wants. We can patch it together. We can have programs that bring us together. You know, it's almost like getting arrested. You have to participate, you know, um, you know. Here, do this together to, to build love and build unity. We can, we can try, but it will, never, it will never produce what only God can produce 
when you and I as individuals say, you know what, I am going to follow Christ. And to follow Christ means that I have to say no to me. And that's where it becomes, that's where it's really hard sometimes. But this week, let's make it a point individually to say no to ourselves. I don't have to have my way. I can exercise humility. And I can submit myself to someone else. So be in agreement with Christ. Uh, look at look at uh, that same verse. He says, have the same love. Now, what does he mean by that? Have the same love. Well, he's, he's saying be like-minded with Christ. That's the emphasis there. Have the same love as Christ. And what, what love does does Christ have? Well, he loves, he loves each of us, every one of us. So I need to love every one of you. And you need to love every one of each other. Wouldn't it be, wouldn't it be sad if the Lord wanted to love a family in this church through Pastor Scott? But Pastor Scott just said, you know what? No, I, I don't have it in me to love that family. And that's not him. Okay, you know that. Wouldn't that be sad? If he just said, no, God, I'm not going to love that family. I'll love these, but I'm not going to love them. They're not valuable to me. See, I don't, I don't think we have that right. We, we, have, we have opportunity to say yes to the Lord and to say no to him. But we don't have the right to choose, I love them, I don't love them. I will give to them. I will not give to them. It becomes sin at that point. And, and as I mentioned earlier, it is the ultimate act of disregard and, and lack of appreciation, lack of love for the Lord. To say, I know what you love, but I'm not going to love what you love. So have the same love as Christ. Jesus said in John 15, greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. In 1 John 3, uh, the Bible says this, but whoso hath this world's good and seeth his brother have need and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? So he says, have this, be like-minded, have the same love. And then he says, be of one accord. And he's saying, be of one accord with, with Christ. The, word, the, word, uh, uh, the words of one accord have the idea of having the same passion. Isn't that interesting? The same desire, the same ambition. Um, have the same ambition, have the same goal as Christ does. We think about the church, have the same goal for the church that Christ has for the church. Um, and then he says, be of one mind. And again, he's not saying just every, everybody find out what everybody else thinks and all come to agreement. That sounds like a mess and chaos. He says, find out what God loves, find out what Christ loves and love what he loves. Be of one mind, be minding one thing. When I think of what, what was one thing that Christ minded, he loved people. There's no doubt about that. Um, he loved truth. He stood for truth. There's no doubt about that. But I'm reminded of when Christ was in the Garden of Gethsemane and he were praying. He was praying and he was, he was sweating as it were great drops of blood. No one else was awake. He's alone. And he's praying, Father, 
If it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And Jesus taught his disciples in everything, be in submission to your father's will. Live to build the kingdom. Live for the kingdom someday coming. Don't live for today. Live to glorify your father. Jesus himself says, not my will, but thy will be done. And and you know what, church? The church will enjoy tremendous, beautiful harmony and unity, supernatural, incredible, amazing harmony. When each one of us are saying in our individual lives, Lord, not my will, but thine be done. The truth is, every one of us have different opinions about different things. Well, this is what I think should happen. Well, this is this is what what color I think it should be, obviously. Uh, or 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 this this is how long, or this is how how brief, or 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 this is how this should be done, or this is how that should be done. And, and we could take this into our personal lives. I think this is okay for me. You don't think it's okay for you? I think it's okay for me. I, I think I think you ought to take what my convictions and make them yours. You know. And, and that's not what the Bible teaches. It teaches us to follow Christ and to die to self. So make that the goal. So what is absolutely necessary for unity? Be in tune with Christ. Uh, I'm going to give you one more thought in verses three and four. Um, what does it look like when we're in agreement with Christ? Look at verse three. He says in Philippians chapter two and verse three. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem or think, consider other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. So what does it look like when we're in agreement with Christ? What does it look like when you and I are saying no to self and yes to him? And in verse three, we see that a child of God who is thinking like Christ is selfless, selfless. It doesn't have to be your way. It doesn't have to be your way. Now, in the country club membership, you know, if you show up, I don't even know how I mean, they, don't, they clean your clubs when you get there. And they clean your clubs after you're done golfing. So I'm not sure how that works, because if you don't golf anywhere but there, they're cleaning your clubs again before you golf again the next day or next week or whatever. And, you know, but if you paid your dues and they don't clean your clubs, you'd be like, hey, I, I, I paid for that. Someone needs to take care of my clubs. Could someone please load my clubs in the back of the golf cart, please? I don't like this golf cart. The seat is wet. Could you please dry that off for me, please, before I sit down? I mean, again, most most of us who do golf or have ever golfed have never golfed in, on a course like that, right? We dry off the seat ourselves, maybe, whether a cloth or otherwise, however. Um, but if you're in a country club, you say, well, I've paid my dues. It needs to be my way. I need to be taken care of. But But here, to be a member of a church... To be a functioning member within a church means I need to be selfless. Uh, he says strife. Let nothing be done through strife. Strife is selfishness. It's 
It's the pursuit of political office by unfair methods. Sometimes it's used that way. It's self-promoting. It has the idea of selfish ambition that leads to factions. So I want it a certain way. It's not that way. So I'm going to talk to other people about it to try to gain political traction to force what I want upon other people. And, and God says to us, let nothing be done that way. Nothing is to be done through strife. Us talking amongst ourselves to, to get other people to do what we want them to do. Rivalries, the state of mind that leads to focusing mostly on our own agenda. Strife is the word. In Galatians 5, the Bible lists has a list of some of the works of the flesh, and strife is one of them. Now, we might not think of strife as being that big of a deal. You know, it's strife. I mean, we don't use the word very much. But listen to the list that it's in. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies. Okay, so this kind of a person is primarily concerned with themselves. Well, this is the way it ought to be. They're primarily concerned with their thoughts and not Christ's thinking. Is it easy to follow Christ, yes or no? Is it natural for you and for me to follow Christ? No, it's, it's unnatural. It's not natural. That is not the natural inclination of our flesh. Our flesh will defend us every time. It will lie to defend us. It will make up things. It will argue. It will debate. It will go to war to get our way. It will steal. Okay. It will, it will defraud another person. It will attack another person's character. It will try to tear another person down to build ourselves up. That is our flesh. That is why God sent his son to die to take our sins upon his body, to take them away, to give us a new uh, a new life, life in Christ, and his spirit is that life to help us to overcome our flesh. So he says, Not, let nothing be done through strife, vainglory. Vainglory has the idea of self-esteem or empty pride, the state of mind that seeks personal glory. Now, the word strife, I think, connects a person to a way of thinking or a program, or maybe a ministry. I'm a part of this. This is my identity. This is who I am. The way I want things, that's who I am. I'm a part of this clan. I'm a part of this group. I'm a part of this philosophy. So again, this is actually, you know, I want my group, my way of thinking to be exalted. I want everybody to see that it's right. I want everybody to see that we're the best. And therefore, everybody else can just, who cares what happens to them? Hopefully they'll look bad and be exposed. And you can see the dirtiness of this. It's pretty disgusting. Um, being glory has the same idea. It, it, it's this self-promotion. They're willing to fight to prove that they're superior. And wherever, wherever this kind of attitude shows up, there's tremendous discord. And so he says, don't be like that. Be selfless. 
let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. And then he says, but in lowliness of mind. What's he talking about? He's talking about humility. And a child of Christ, a, a child of God, who is going to have unity within a church and be used of God to, uh, to attain what God wants, is going to have to be selfless and they're going to have to be humble. That's what he's talking about when he says lowliness of mind, humility of mind. What is that? Well, look at verse 3, the latter part. Paul define, defines it. He says, let each esteem other better than themselves. Okay, what does that mean? That means I'm supposed to think of my brothers and sisters in Christ as being superior to me. Is that a natural inclination? No. Because I'm right. Haven't you been listening? In our debate here, you know, I mean, that's the natural inclination. We argue, we Maybe we don't we don't call it arguing. We or debating. Why? Sometimes it's to increase our knowledge. But then when we think we have enough, we try to get other people to agree. And and here he actually tells us in verse three that nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind, humility of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. So within Trinity Baptist Church, we should be going around esteeming one another better than ourselves. There is a gift of God. There is a gift of God to our church. God has done a mighty work and a wonderful work in this individual's life and this individual's life. He's doing a mighty work. We praise God for what God is doing in that person's life. And you know, when it comes around to me, when I finally think of myself, I think to myself, God, thank you so much for letting me be a part. Thank you for saving my soul. Thank you for adding me to this church. Lord, please help me. Please use me to be a blessing to these as you have used them to be a blessing and encouragement to me. You see, esteeming myself lower than others. There should never be the attitude of, wow, these folks are sure blessed to have me. What would they do without me? And that, that's the opposite of this attitude. One more, one more simple truth, and that is that a child of God who is thinking like Christ is more concerned that his fellow church member succeed than himself. Look at verse 4 as we finish up. He says, look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. So what is the most important ministry of Trinity Baptist Church? That's the wrong way of thinking. We live in a society where what is most important is what we care about most. A believer who's in agreement with Christ doesn't think that way. The, the, our thoughts are not consumed with us, but we are more apt to consider our brothers and sisters in Christ. We are more concerned about their success than we are about our own success. So the enemy of unity is disagreement. The foundation for disagreement is pride. And at the end of chapter 1, we don't, we're not going to go back to this, but Paul pled with the church at Philippi that they would be unified. In verse 1 of chapter 2, he told us why we should be united. But really, Paul's plea is a plea for humility. And we're not going to get to it today, but next week, God willing, we'll get to it. Where he's going to say in verse 5, five let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who thought it not robbery to be equal with God, right? He, he takes on the form of a man. 
He's a servant to do the will of his father. And Paul's saying this, think that way. Think that way. This is not about you. This is not about what you want. It doesn't have to be your way. You're not the one building the church of God. It is God who builds his church. He added you to it. He's gifted you. You're an intricate part, a necessary part of Trinity Baptist Church. You need to function. You need to fulfill your role. You need to know your gift. And if you're not sure what your gift is, you need to keep humbly serving the Lord and trusting him to show you in his time. You need to say no to self. You need to say yes to Christ. And as we each seek him, he brings us together in a unity that is better, more incredible than anything Duke University could ever have. It's more incredible than anything a family can have. Biological family. We have some strong families in this room. And you are blessed if you are a part of a strong family of great relations with your children or your spouse, or your grandchildren. Those are wonderful things. Cultivate them, invest in them, love them, serve them. Okay, but there's something about a church that even goes beyond that. Okay, so as we close this morning, let me ask you this. Do you know the Lord Jesus Christ is your Savior? Has he saved you? Has, you made, has he made you a part of this family. And if you are, if he has, are you wanting what he wants? Do you want it? Do you long for it? Is it your ambition? Is it your goal? Do you love what he loves? I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet. Take your hymnals, if you would, as you do. 399, 399. I'm going to pray before we turn.